Going back to the song that I wrote for Eric Pletzer, Long Time Gone, uh, about dying sort of thing, and when you go, my friend, you're a long time gone, uh, was the fact that uh, when I got home from one of my trips, I'd written this song, and I'd, I'd made a den uh, demo of this up at, at Rudy's studio up... Uh, Oh, in the Felber, yeah, Felber. in Felber Town up there, in his underneath his restaurant, mm. and I'd done a demo of this, and uh, which I no longer have, uh, because Cliff used to take things off me, and he used to forget where the hell he'd put them, uh. and uh, so I never got the demo back. So I haven't even got the demo of my own song. So I had to sit down in my kitchen and record the whole song mm. again for myself, which I put on my music page. And uh, and when he, uh, he recorded it, he said to me, come down to the studios in Clitheroe in Lancashire, the Grand Studios. It used to be a cinema at one time, did the Grand. Okay. And uh, they turned it into a restaurant, into a recording studio, into a a place where you could go and listen to artists sing. Right. And they have some very, very good artists on, and uh, far better than me. And uh, and they have bands on. Some of these bands are a little bit too loud. We may having two hearing aids mm. in nowadays. They just blow my ears out. And, and uh, I, can, I can hear people talking fine on a good level. You go and listen to a band and... And it just blows your ears out. So I don't like listening to loud music. Yeah. And uh, anyway, when Cliff recorded it, he left a couple of verses out, which uh, I wasn't too bothered about. But he liked the song, and it's like anything else. If somebody likes your stuff and they say, oh, I want to do a recording of this, and... Uh, you know, it's a kind of another kind of flattery, isn't it? It is, I Pete. Suppose. Certainly and, is. Uh, I like I like the fact that he liked the song, and when he recorded it, he uh, the drummer Liam Barber, a friend of mine, played in a band with me a few times. Did Liam, and he says it was uh, like a baptism of fire when he <laughs> when he ever played in a band with me, <laughs> because we went from one style of a thing. To, uh, to another, mm. which I always found interesting. You know, I would start off with something, you know, I would do a, a, a raucous rock and roll song and and then go into a, a reggae rhythm and start singing, baby, don't you worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. right. You know, Bob Marley. And then the next thing that I'd be doing, I'd go into a... A country song. Today I started loving you again. Merlaggard. You know, so... Mm. And he said, it, and I never used to introduce the songs when I did them. No. I would say, this is a Merlaggard song, dude. And, and uh, we're in the key of D, guys, or whatever. <laughs> and that was it. And I would expect the lead guitar player... Mm. To, to come in with something that we could come into the song and then everybody, uh, what we call, uh, we just flew it, you know, we yeah. just flew, this, flew the song. 
And and I always like that because it shortens musicians up and the and it makes them listen. Mm, yeah. And uh, and I like that saying that Liam Barber said to me about that. He says, "Bloody hell, Pete." Well, I don't think he used language as, as good as that. As so nice as that. <laughs> it was a bloody baptism of fire. And and also a few uh, a few months ago, Scott Whitley who plays bass for a band out of uh, Glasgow called The Big Country. Oh, yes, I've heard Big of them. Country. And Scott was a fabulous player. He used to... He came along one night with a double bass, and a very, very good bass player plays the electric guitar. He even makes his own guitars, does, uh, uh, does Scott Whitley. He calls them an SW but Many, many different kinds of bass guitar he puts, so different pickup formations and Fancy that, all this yeah. kind of thing. And uh, and I, I mentioned on Facebook about Scott, and he came back and he said a similar thing about this baptism of fire. <laughs> we once we once did. <laughs> you can tell how it is uh, how it was. We were once invited to do a, a open air radio program. Right. And we were booked for 50, 45 min, a 45-minute spot mm. or a 40-minute spot, something like that. And uh, we're coming up to end of 40. I always wear a watch, if you've ever noticed, Bernie. I always wear a watch where when I was playing the guitar, I could keep a track on the time because ah. I had the watch in me. In, on the inside of my wrist, where oh, I that's the reason why I wonder if you see thing, yeah. And I was, uh, and so we're coming to the end of this 40 minutes, and now this is the last song that we're going to do. Thanks very much for, for coming out to see us. There'll be a couple of 3,000 people out there, yeah. And they did all these live broadcasts at this time, the BBC, all over the country. I can't think where it was this thing they all did them on the same day and we was doing this lancashire thing uh in Cone in lancashire and uh as i said we, we were down for 40 minutes so i'm there looking at the watch keeping track on this is what we're doing and and scott had scott was playing the double bass and doing the slap bass to to a Carl Perkins song. All my friends are bobbing the blues, now it must be going round. And there's this lovely slap coming off the mm. bass, off the bass uh. strings and that. And a great player was Scott Whitley, and he, uh, we did this thing. We'd done 40 minutes, and I was introducing the last song, and there's this woman from the BBC waving her arms about in front of me. <laughs> Keep going, keep going. So we started it. We so oh, apparently that is not the last song. <laughs> it's the first song. Yeah. So you got to know what to on, and we did another forty minutes. Of it. And I was waiting for this woman to to come round and say, "Next song, finish." You know. Yeah. And she never did. Oh dear. <laughs> and uh, so, and I kept looking for this woman, and she never came. And we finished up. We finished up doing about two and a half hours. Brilliant. And I'd wrote the program out for the first 40 minutes because that's what we were contracted to do. To do, yeah. But everything else after that, we just flew it all. Yeah, fantastic. Every song yeah. uh, for 
for about two and a half <laughs> hours. And uh, which I thought, we, I, I've wondered to myself quite, uh, quite a few times, who the hell could have done that? Mm. But uh, I'd been playing for that long and I knew all these songs. And the guy who was uh, the lead guitar player, he knew me quite well. Uh, he passed away about three, four months since. Uh, a fellow from Accrington played in a lot of bands. Very, very awkward to get along with, but a great player yeah. was Ian. And uh, and he was able to step in and do a song. Mm. And he, he would go into some, on a tangent with a loud guitar intro. Yeah. And uh, come in... Uh, with a Clapton song or something like this. And and then when we'd finished that, uh, the Scott Scott would come in and do something and I would come in and do something. Also had a guy uh, who came along that day called Andy Nutter, played in Germany for uh, lots of years playing congas. Mm. And he, he lives in Pendle, where I live, Pendle area. And, uh, and he used to... Uh, he used to come in with songs. And uh, I once said to him, I says, you sing a lot of choruses, Andy. How's that? He says, that's all I ever used to do was <laughs> join in the chorus with anything with my band. And his band was called Smokey Joe. Great band. I love listening to mm. them. Used to love going to listen to them, Smokey Joe. They were really good. And uh, Andy was a congas player, and he used to leap up in the air and slap down and <laughs> had about six microphones around his congas. Really? Oh, yeah, and he used to pick a piece of wood up and thump side at congas, and then uh -huh. he'd be slapping. Oh, yeah, and, and, and he, were, uh, he were an act to watch himself, was mm. Andy. Uh, really, and a, and a damn good singer. Ah. And he and it, it, occasionally, it, I think he knew about four songs altogether. One of them, one of them was a BG song. There's a light, certain kind of light oh, yes. that never shone on me. And uh, to love somebody, and, and and he put his hand up, and I'll do a song, you know. Okay, yeah. so Andy would do one of his four songs. They knew, but he knew. When you were singing any, it was almost any song you cared to sing, Andy knew the chorus of it. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. I know yeah, that <laughs> it was unusual. So you, when when Andy came on to do a spot, you guys would all play with him. Oh yeah, he yeah. came on with the band, did Andy? He was, yeah, he, he was a, an extension of the band. I'd ring him up. I said, "We're doing this thing for BBC, Andy. Bring your congas along." Yeah, fantastic. You know? And uh, and Andy would bring his congas, fit about half a dozen mics <laughs> up round his congas, and he'd, he'd, he'd hit them with lumps of bloody wood. Yeah. Uh, if he'd have had a sledgehammer, he'd have probably done that. He he would have probably gone down really well in Congleton. Well, he probably would have done, Bernie. <laughs> well, there's a quit for you. Uh, uh, yeah, but he was, he was very good to watch himself. And, yeah. And the thing was... He just loved music. He mm. loved playing music, you know. And and the bands that uh, I got round me, I was probably the worst musician in the in the band. Really? Yeah, I was probably the worst Blimey. musician in the band. And uh, but uh, 
there, I had things coming through my head all, all of the time, and when when we did this BBC thing, it's a good job I knew as many songs as I did, because as you know, Bernie, when I've come over here, I've sat down for seven, eight hours, mm. without even going for a pee break. Exactly. If you remember. Yeah. And uh, A couple of beers in between, but I mean, you had to yeah, have something. And, uh, I had the stamina to do I, The reason why I probably wasn't going back to the toilet, I was sweating that much. Yeah. And uh, I remember one day, Pletcher uh, said to me, uh, will you do this music thing this year, particular day? And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the occasion was. And uh, he said, start about 10 o'clock mm. in the morning. I said, yeah, okay. So I, I set the gear up in the street. And uh, we were probably playing to something like a 1,000 people sat in the wow. street. Yeah, which was a hell of a crowd, and they had about six or eight waitresses selling the beer, Whoa. and then there was all his ice cream and all his cakes and everything were getting sold. Yeah, and and at that time there was no music at all in uh, Mittersill. The same as now, they have a lot of guys who come in and mm. play a keyboard and one with a guitar or a bass and and that. But I was the first person that ever came into Mittersill. To play music. Right. They had the occasional concert by the umpire band yeah. from local or, yeah. or somewhere. But I was actually the first guy who came in to Mittersill and, mm. and in parts of Germany as well as I travel through that actually picked a guitar up, put a mouth up over his head and started playing. Mm. And... Uh, I remember this time when he asked me to do this day for him. He said, oh, start about 10 o'clock, Peter. And says, well, he didn't actually say it like that, but it was uh, with a German slang to it. <laughs> uh, so I started playing at 10 o'clock. And I played, and I played, and I played. And it got to, got to 6 o'clock at night. <laughs> I was bloody hungry. I think I, I don't think I'd had a pay up to that time. No, and uh, and I sort of put the guitar down, and I needed to go to the toilet. And Monica said, "Would you like something to eat?" Her ex-wife, Monica, she says, "Would you like something to eat?" I said, "Yeah, can you make me a speck sandwich?" Yeah, so she made me this, and by the time I'd eaten, been to the toilet, and then eaten this, it were about six. 30 or something, sat and had a beer. <laughs> and I remember a <laughs> coming out of the shop where they sell the ice cream and the cake. Yeah. I thought, thought this was quite funny, but I thought it was bloody cheeky again. And she says, aren't you going to play anymore, Pete? <laughs> so I said, yeah, I will do. So I picked the guitar up and yeah. started and I could go for hours and hours and hours and never repeat a song. Mm. And uh, by by this time, the crowd had thought I had finished and was dwindling away. And uh, I sat down and started again, and the crowd came back. And, yeah. And uh, I think I finished something like 12 o'clock at night. It was dark and yeah. it was a bit cold. Yeah, the crowd, having a live crowd and seeing that they were enjoying it and they were staying and they were drinking yeah. and eating, it's it's great encouragement. And you and you don't always think about the hours, do you, Pete? You just no, keep going. No, you want to keep them happy. About that, but same as how I tried to get shut of them 
at about uh, eight o'clock at night, I started singing Bob Dylan songs. Oh, uh, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> and they like the commercial know, ones. And mm. uh, and amazingly, they like these Bob Dylan songs, so I didn't get shut of them. Oh dear! But I ended up. Uh, playing all these Bob Dylan songs. You should have played a Rolf Harris song, Pete. They well, all I gone. probably should have done that. I'd have fucked him off, wouldn't it? <laughs> Good and proper. But uh, uh, I, uh, I did this session doing Bob Dylan songs and, and one thing or another, and people liked it. And another time, when I was playing one night, outside Plexus, as it happened, again... I was playing in a, a little girl, I think she'd be about six, six year old. This little girl walked up to me and stood in front of me and she said something to me and I didn't catch what she'd said because she was an American and I expected somebody German. Yeah. Because, he, uh, as, as you know, Bernie, when you were... Sat up there singing a song, mm. and you in your midstream singing a song, and and somebody will come straight in your face and, oh. and start talking to you. Yeah, or or, or um, hand you a beer, and you you're playing your guitar. What yeah, can you do? Yeah, this side, oh, like, and and they're there handing you a beer, like you said, talking, mm. talking in your face. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, and, and there's me thinking under my breath, will you fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you can do something with this, but it was just as it happened. Mm. But anyway, this little girl, six year old, she'd be, she's, she's about 20 years old now. Good girl. Grown into a beautiful woman. Have you seen her since? Uh, no. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. once. Maybe once I've mm. seen her since. I've mm. seen her father a few times. And, and her father uh, had said to her, ask him if he can do some Towns Van Zandt songs. Well, I didn't hear her, and I didn't hear her properly. And I says, we've been mutton Jeff, you know. And, she, and I says, come round here. And she came round to the, to the side of me, and I, said, and I turned to her, I says, what, would, what do you want? She said, my daddy's asked me, uh, in, in America, my daddy's asked me if you know any Towns Van Zandt songs. And I said, and, and I put my mouth to the microphone, I says, who, Towns Van Zandt? I says, I've never heard of him. Where's he from? Oh, my daddy, my daddy listens to this man, Towns Van Zandt, in, in a club. And uh, in uh, Houston, in Texas, and I didn't know this guy, but uh, I do now. He was called Yoli Lemberger, and he lives in Houston. And I said, no, I says, I've never heard of this guy called Towns Van Zandt. I says, I'm sorry. Mm. So she started walking away, and this guy's looking at me, her father, and straight away I just went in to, this, to the song. The name she gave was Caroline. She was the daughter of a miner, and it seems to me that her ways were free, and that the sunshine walked beside her. She came from Spencer across the hill, and he was looking at me, and he'd heard me say, no, I've never heard of this Towns Van Zandt. Yeah, I was going to say. I, uh, the thing was, I knew all these sort of obscure American 
singers, and I used to listen to them, like, uh, but uh, singers like Chris Christopherson were quite, uh, you know, well-known over mm. in Austria, like Cash. And I'd occasionally do uh, Merle Haggard songs. Right. And I used to, and, but I kept away mostly from the obscure singers that I had known and probably been listening to for 20, 25 years. Mm. Like Guy Clark and, and uh, but I never did them in Europe because no. I didn't think they'd have probably heard these people. And uh, anyway, uh, as soon as I'd sung this song, uh, he brought me a beer across and thanked me very much. And we, we got quite friendly, Yoli and, and me, uh, over the period of time that he was uh, he was here and uh, and I was offered uh, substances and one thing or another <laughs> which uh, which I've never dealt with anyway never done no I don't blame you and I've seen Yole on some of the Facebook uh, likes that you've been getting Pete um, so I'm familiar with the name but I don't yeah. think I've met him I'm not sure well the second time that I met him was a, 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 a maybe two three years later. And uh, and he came over and spoke to me, and I put my hand out to shake his hand, and there, he had no fingers on his hand. is <laughs> a he was a chippy. Ah. He was a joiner. He worked for himself in Houston, in Texas. Okay. And uh, and he put his hand out to shake hands with me, and there's only half an hand there oh, with no. no fingers on. And I says, what the hell have you been doing? He says, oh, says, they got too near a circular saw. Oh, God. <laughs> He'd sawed the bloody lot off. My God. He but wasn't a guitar player beforehand. No, no, he wasn't a guitar player or anything. He was just a joiner. Mm. And, he, and he, lived, he lived in Mittersill, as you know. There's a lot of Lambergers about it. Yeah, there are. Wolfgang yeah. Lamberger and, you know, all these other Lambergers. That's and, right. That's right. And, uh, and that. And... Uh, you, you remember his dad? He used to play. He used to play drums and that. A little guy, really, with glasses on. Yeah, ah. and uh, and he, he occasionally played a a squeeze box, I think. Okay, and uh, he was one of the Lamberger clan from Mittersill. Say no more. And uh, oh, say no more. But I got invited up to his father's house and we sat there having the... Uh, the Speck? No, no, no. Uh, the, what, the casa thing, the, in the big Oh, Kasnokan, the cheese uh, dumplings. And, yeah. and, and everybody eats it like a Jacob's joint. It's actually farm food. Yeah. And, uh, and we all sat there around this table and about ten of us and... Music was on far too loud for me because I like to talk to people, mm. not listen to music blaring in me. And uh, and we all joined in this bloody great bowl of this Kasnok, and you know, mm. and uh, and that, uh, and it had a great time. And then, yeah. as I said, the second time I met him, he dropped his fingers off, and uh, and that, uh, and. Uh, I haven't seen him since. No. Maybe, but he sent me a lot of CDs over mm. by people who played in this club uh, 
obscure to me with these singers and I listened to some of these and they were songwriters as well. They were brilliant. Yeah. And he said occasionally you'd get Willie Nelson coming in and and that uh, Oh really? Yeah, yeah wow. Willie Nelson coming in and Willie had pick, pull his old guitar out mm. of his case, the old Martin D twenty eight uh. and sit there and do some songs for him which I, I which Americans do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, they mm. do that kind mm. of thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, the first time I played in America, I was playing in a place called Willits, up north, about 150, 160 miles north of San Francisco. And uh, I, I remember playing in this bar, Andy's Bar it was called, on Station Road in Willits. So if there's anybody out there who's... You know, I used to go in there. This was, I can't remember what year it was, probably 95, some 1995. Yeah. And, is that uh, in Oregon? A, sorry? Is that in Oregon, Pete, or is it in California? No, it's in California. California. Mm. And, uh, but way up north above uh, San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. And uh, I once played in London, Ontario. Ah. Oh. And uh, once when I was going uh, up in the mountains, I used to put a, put a guitar in the... Uh, I borrowed a car or something. And I was uh, in Gatlinburg, in this, up in the Smoky Mountains, where Dolly Parton had a place, Dollywood. Uh-huh. Mm. And I was up there one day, and I was just driving around. And uh, there was a... At the side of the road, outside this like sort of cafe across the road where five or six guys sat around one with a double bass and and a young young boy 50 i learned he was 15 years old uh playing banjo mm. very good as well and there's a guitar player and he looked he looked about that uh looked a bit like the guy who used to be on an, an english television program uh with a bear I can't remember his name. Okay, and uh, it ran for uh, for a year or two in England, and it must have been a series in America uh-huh. where this guy had this big bear, you know. Right. Um, Grizzly Adams. Oh. Grizzly Adams. Can you remember? I that? can vaguely remember yeah. it, Pete. Well, this guy who was sat down playing the guitar looked like Grizzly Adams, and they'd playing. They'd been playing. I'd been sat there watching these people playing four-piece, five-piece band, the fiddle and one thing or another. And I went up to Grizzly Adams, who was in this band, and I says, Is it, would it be okay if I sat in and, mm. and uh, you know, played a bit of guitar with you guys? And uh, so I sat in, sat in w- with this Band mm. and they were playing it was nearly all bluegrass music they was playing right and i've i've been a big fan of uh, bluegrass music since uh i heard the nitty gritty dirt band in 1970 71 and i always loved listening to people like charlie mccoy the harmonica player who mm. who at that time in 1970 had played on over 500 hit records Amazing. charlie mccoy and uh, he was uh, a great player, and there's been many, many great players on Malthops, as 
mm. as you know. But my, my favourite player uh, these days is a guy who plays uh, with Willie Nelson, Mickey Raphael. Uh-huh. And I happened to walk into uh, a place in Clear Lake in California, not the Clear Lake where Buddy Holly died, but the Clear Lake in California, and there was a big place called the Canoctai, which uh-huh. sounds Indian to me. Yeah. And uh, and I was there, and there, w- there was this show advertised, Willie Nelson and his band. So I went in there, and it was about lunchtime, something like that. And uh, this is going back to my Yorkshire accent. As I walked into the bar, there's all Willie Nelson's band mm. stood there. And I recognised them off photographs of, of the albums that he put out. Right. I recognised him, so uh, I went. I went up to them and started talking to them because I've got balls like a buffalo. It don't bother <laughs> me, you know. I, and uh, and I went up to them and started talking to B Spears, who was a bass player. And there was uh, Mickey Raphael stood there, and and the other guys in the band, Jody Payne, and. Uh, who was uh, supposed to be the lead guitarist, but Willie used to play most of the guitar in anyway. Uh-huh. But anyway, I went in talking to them. And uh, Paul English, the drummer, he said, when I was talking to Paul English said to me, where the hell are you from, man? Because of my accent. Yeah. And I said, well, where do you think I'm from? He says, Australia. And I said, no, no, no. I says, I'm from Yorkshire in England. And uh, and when I was talking, these guys, they kept saying, what did you say? And I kept trying <laughs> to be as clear as I could with what I yeah. was talking to. And I, I remember turning around to Mickey Raphael, the uh, harmon- Willie's harmonica player. He's like... Willie's right arm is Mickey Raphael. He takes him, no matter whatever gig he goes to, Willie, uh, Mickey Raphael uh-huh. is there. Yeah. And uh, and I turned to uh, Mickey Raphael and I says, uh, I, says uh, I play ops. And uh, I said, but I don't play them as good as you, Mickey, you know. No. I says, in fact, uh, you know, I, I says, I can't even say that you're an inspiration to me. Though I do like you playing, I said because I couldn't hope to play like you do, you know. <laughs> I said uh, I, I say I play like a bad, uh, a poor Bob Dylan, or uh, you know, something in that style of thing. Mm, but mm. what I do play uh, is about as good as Neil Young and Bob Dylan, as I say. Sounds and, good to uh, me. Very to come is the music there. I do quite well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. I like, I'm not a, a mouth organ player, Pete, and what I do like is is not just you're out blowing out, you're sucking in. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a mixture of everything. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I think you've got a good feel for it, for the songs that you the, use it on. Yeah, the thing about it, it, it about a mouth harp, uh, or an harmonica to what people do, a little thing that you can, that you could go and buy in a shop for a quid at. Mm. At one time, but they they now a little ten aperture mouth organ made by Lee Oscar or by Oina. 
Mm. Uh, you know, you're looking at 25 to 30 quid. It's great, isn't it? Oh, yeah, there are a lot. And I, I have a case there, as you know. We, oh, yeah. We're like a double deck of harmonicas. Exactly. In just about every major and minor key that you can think of. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and I often look at that box and I think, Christ almighty, there must be something like 600 quid's worth of harmonicas in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you take these with you on a gig and you don't think anything about it. And, no. And you just, you lay all the harmonicas out and pick the one which you're going to use in a, a key. If you're playing in E, you might use a B harmonica or you might use, uh -huh. a, or uh -huh. you might use an E, mm. E harmonica, or, mm. you know. And uh, you find that as you you find your way with them as you as you go on playing, but I'd, I'd class myself as a, a a poor Bob Dylan type, yeah, harmonica player. But it it suits the of course suits what I do. It does. The thing about it, you can use them very very subtly, mm. uh, depending on how much pressure you put through them. Uh, a lot of it is done. The pressure that you put through the micro, uh, through the mouth organ is with the tongue. Mm. Even when you're sucking in, and then you can tremolo them, you can do all sorts. Yeah, no. But they're such a versatile instrument. Mm. Is an harmonica. It certainly is, and uh, it's uh, for a solo musician. It's pretty important, I think. Well, it is. Be, uh, it is when your guitar playing's a little bit limited. You know. Mm. But going, just going back for a brief second before we finish this, Bernie, when I, when I was up in Gatlinburg there in the States and uh, where, where I sat in with this bluegrass band mm. and uh, he says, uh, this Grizzly Adams type character, and he says, what do you play? And I says, most things. And, uh, but none, none of these guys sang. Ah. So uh, I said, uh, can I play my version of Black Mountain Rag? Uh-huh. Which uh, these fantastic guitar players like Doc Watson and that used to throw off the fingers for fun. Mm. And I said, can I play my version of Black Mountain Rag? Do you know it? One, two, one, two. And, and I, I went into my version of Black Mountain Rag and... and uh, it was probably nothing like their version of Black Mountain Rag, but that was all I could play. Yeah. And I played the version of Black Mountain Rag out for him, and uh, and, it, and I went round with a bucket, a collection bucket, and it had a stick in it with a notice on about throat book tips or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And when I looked at this bucket... And I'd be, must have been watching them nearly an hour before I had balls to get up and go across to them. Because mm. you know me, Bernie, I've balls <laughs> for anything. And I just walked across and asked them if I could uh, play, sit in with them. And uh, when I looked in, when I got up, I'd finished and there were, there were a couple of dollar notes in. There was, it was very, very measly. And and there'd probably be somewhere around three hundred people, there. Mm, mm. and it religiously I went round everyone. I says, "Come Did on, put some music in." I says, "Give these 
put some money in this bucket. I was nearly like Bob Geldof. Yeah. You know, yeah, where's your fucking money? <laughs> and uh, I, went, I went all around these people mm. and... And I, I had a bucket by time I'd finished, I put a bucket full of money hey. in front of him. <laughs> and Grizzly Adams says to me, he says, can you come along tonight? <laughs> With and I says, no, I says, I'm moving on. I'm, I was moving somewhere, I can't remember where. I think I, I think I probably ended up in Knoxville in Tennessee that night or something. But anyway, he says, can you come back tonight, you know? Mm. But, they had a, a bucket full of money and dollar bills fantastic. and all this kind of thing. And uh, he thought that were fantastic. Mm. And I had no qualms about uh, going round and getting money. I said, you need to encourage these people yeah. to come and play, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because they're fantastic musicians. There was an old guy playing double bass, Bernie, I remember. This old guy, he looked about 120 years old, this <laughs> old guy with a big beard. And the double bass was, the neck of the double bass was across his knee and it was laid flat sort of thing. Mm. And he's there. He's, I don't think he could have stood up to play it, to be quite <laughs> honest. And he's playing, plays this double bass and it's nearly flat on the floor. And uh, and that boat. Anyway, I, I moved off after another couple of hours. I sat down and had a bit of lunch and kept listening to these guys and until they ran out of music. And they was playing in in this cafe type thing that mm. they were playing outside at lunchtime. They were just trying to drum a bit of business up for the night. Yeah. And hopefully, though I never knew, hopefully a lot of these people who'd been stood outside who were, who were scrounging money off for these fellas... Would come back. And uh, they would come back that night and uh, listen to them playing, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. That was a great memory for me. Mm. And... Uh, and you found them you know. just by chance, didn't you? Some yeah, of these I was just driving up the road and I saw I saw these guys playing in this little sort of a, a pen. Mm. There was just a couple of sticks round and they were sat in there playing. Yeah. So I, as soon as I saw that, I just stopped the, I just stopped my truck and jumped out and Brilliant. listened to them. Yeah, fantastic. And they were, and they were playing, uh, which is. Probably one of my favourite music. I think that's why I like rockabilly. Yeah. Rockabilly music, because it probably stems from bluegrass and the blues. Mm. And, mm. and I'm, uh, I'll just tell you this before we finish. I'm, I'm not a big fan of these heavy metal blues bands that we have in our country and one thing or another. I would much rather listen to the old guy where you see films from 1910 and 1915, the old black and white film, sat at, uh, this old guy sat outside his, his uh, Ranch. cabin, you know, yeah. and uh, on the veranda, uh, singing his blues songs. Mm. And the thing is about when you listen to these blues songs, he can sing a song and then three, three songs down the line, there'll be a pinched verse... Out of the out of the first song, uh huh. Because it's all and Eric Clapton uh, has sung many blues songs, as as you all know. And, yeah. Uh, and you know the the songs that he did, 
the blue songs is sung. The verses in these songs I've heard so many times, uh, and I don't know the song that Clapton's doing, mm. but I've heard the verses from the from other songs, the old clips, black and white clips I've heard of yeah. the blues guys, and I would much rather listen to the old blues singers and the old mm. guy just sat there on the veranda with a, you know, a ten bob guitar, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Knocking, knocking the music out rather than listening to these modern, uh, modern bands. Uh, if anybody wants to listen to some really good down-to-earth music, mm-hmm. uh, a band to listen to is uh, Steve and Seagal. Steve Not and Seagal. Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal, the act. The act. No, no. It's a, it's a guy called Steve and he calls his band... Seagal, Steven Seagal. Ah, uh, okay. And they they are all like bluegrass type of music. It's banjos. And, yeah. And uh, what do you call uh, the squeeze box? Yeah. They call them harmonicas, don't yeah, they? Yeah, harmonicas, yeah. Uh, the, the ones that you play in your mouth are mundi harmonicas, a mouth harmonica. That's right. But you play a piano accordion and mm. they have fiddles and banjos. Great. If anybody wants to listen to some... and. And uh, I once saw this clip of film about them where they turned up on tractors and, and <laughs> the old pickup trucks that were falling in bits and and they just and they got their instruments out and they yeah. just, just sat there and started playing and they were absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Anyway, that's Stephen Seagal. Stephen Seagal. Uh, there's one yeah. to recommend. I've not heard of him. But, uh, the actor Stephen Seagal, I'll just tell you a story about this, Bernie. I don't know whether you ever want to say anything uh, about it, but I was up on the ranch in Willits, in near Willits, Shimmons Ridge, actually, near Willits in California. And I'd been up there a couple of months, and Bill Meyerhoff, uh, the guy who had the ranch, he, he had 600 acres, actually, all forest and all this sort of thing. And the people from San Francisco and the uh, the surrounding area will come up there and plant the weed. And uh. occasionally the helicopters will come over and the, <laughs> and that and guide these people and they'd set fire to these to these patches of weed. You know? Yeah. And uh, he was telling me was Bill. One day they came up and they set fire to a patch of weed and it got out of control. And they were trying to put the damn thing out and all these guys were pissing themselves laughing because... (laughs) Under the the influence. The weed had set a fire and they were inhaling the smoke. Oh, God, yeah. And that... But anyway, going back to to this day, Bill says to me, Hey, Pete, will you come and give us a hand with this stuff of... I brought, I brought two big wrought iron gates. And I says, yeah, okay. So I jumped in the truck with him and he, and I said, where are we going? And he said, and he pointed and he says, somewhere over there. And there were mountains in the distance and one thing or <laughs> another. Anyway, we eventually come to this place where it, and this fella came out of the house that he brought there wrote iron gates off mm-hmm. well we loaded them onto his truck i think it would be about a seven ton truck or something like that an old ford flatbed and we put these on and strapped them down these big 
so-called wrought iron gate. And I looked at this fella as he walked out of the house. It was a huge fella. And he came out of the house, very quietly spoken he was, and, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got these uh, got these gates over there today. I can't take his voice off, but anyway. And he helped us on with these gates, hopped at the truck, and we strapped them down. And, and I said to Bill as we were driving away, I says, do you know that guy? And he says, no. I says, he looks familiar to me. I says, I says, you don't know him? He says, no. And so anyway, we got back to the ranch about three hours later after coming from the hills that were over there. M miles. <laughs> miles and miles and miles up twisted tracks and one thing or another, dirt tracks. And we got back. And because these gates had been put on together and they'd been moving together, I said, hey, Bill, I said, these gates aren't iron. iron. Mm. Said, these gates aren't iron. I said, they're bronze. And I thought they were hellish heavy when wow. we lifted them on. And they were about 22 foot each, 22 foot long each and about six foot high, six or seven foot high. And uh, and in uh, the next morning, or during the night sometimes, I thought, it came to me who this guy was. Mm. And it was, and I'd seen him on the films many times, and he used to beat people up with bloody billiard balls in socks and God knows what. Oh, and, I think I know who you and mean. And it was none other than Stephen Seagal. Not the band. And <laughs> and uh, the actual Stephen Seagal. And when I'd, I'd been down by the horses in the morning, about seven or eight o'clock in the morning, and been cleaning the pads, uh, the pens out, the pads, as what they call them. And, uh, and I went in the house for breakfast, to make my breakfast. Mm. And... Uh, Bill says to me, do you want a coffee, Pete? And I said, no. I said, you make the worst bloody coffee in the world, you, Bill. <laughs> and he was there pouring beans in a grinder thing and turning this thing. Anyway, he got his cup of coffee and I got my cup of tea. Sat down at the table having some breakfast. And and I said, you know who that guy were yesterday that you brought the uh, gates off? He says, no, no, I said, I've never seen him before. I just got a phone number off somebody. And I rang him up and asked him where he was. I said, well, have you never seen him on the films? And he says, no. And I said, he's a famous actor, this guy. I said, they call him Stephen Seagal. I can vaguely picture him, yeah. And he, a big guy, smooth haircut, and beat everybody up. If there were 20 in a room, he'd beat the crap out of the lot of them, mm. would Seagal. And uh, apparently, he's very, very good at martial arts. And he looked it. <laughs> and, uh, and Bill had never seen him. No. Some people just... Yeah, don't. and he just skims over their head. Mm. And uh, another funny thing that struck me, uh, I was sat down one night, and I started... Uh, I started singing a Ray Charles song. Right. 
And he says, that's a nice song, Pete. Who sang that? And I says, Ray Charles. Thinking he would know, in America, he would know Ray Charles. And he says, he said, I've never heard of him. Where's he What's been? What's he do? <laughs> you know. And I couldn't believe it that, uh, that this guy who lived, he'd be 60, he'd be 64 or 5 at that time with Bill. I think I'd be about 53 or 4. Mm. And, uh, and he says, uh, no, he says, I've never heard of this guy. And I says, he's famous all over the world. Yeah. You've never heard of him. No. You know, I found that. The Americans are sometimes not ignorant, but they just don't naive. know much about... Yeah, that's it. I think they're very, very naive. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get to to stay with this chap, Bill? Well, then? I'd been over in States driving round and one thing or another, and I happened to go into a, a bar one night down in Willits. They're a small, small township. And uh, I was sat at the bar, and what I liked about the um, the American bar, they, I asked for a picture of beer, and he brought this bloody great picture of beer there and gave me an ice-cold glass out of the fridge as well. Mm. It was an hot day, and I'd driven down from uh, Oregon, uh-huh. Portland in Oregon, and I'd driven down Highway 1 and 101 down down the west the co- side, in it, the yeah. west side of California. So I'd driven down this day, and I'd stopped there, and I were a bit dusty or whatever, and I wanted a beer. Mm. And I sat down at this bar, uh, at a, on a stool at this bar, and uh, this old guy came and sat next to me. And he started talking to me. In, in a, he spoke really really quiet, he must have thought I was one of the locals or something, and he started talking to me, and and uh, I was answering him and, and that, but when I answered him, he, uh, he didn't seem to hear, and then I learned that he was nearly stone deaf, this guy. Lloyd Gullick, they called him, beautiful man, lovely man, and I'd been talking to him for a couple of hours, and... And uh, I have a loud voice anyway, so I could make myself... Oh, do you? <laughs> I, I could make him hear what I was saying. And uh, he, were, he says, where, where are you from, Pete? And I says, oh, I says, I'm from England, Lloyd. You know, mm. he, says, he says, some of my family originate from Wales. And I said, well, I sort of gathered that with you, with you being called Lloyd. And I asked him what he did. And here we go back to music. I asked him what he did. And he says, uh, he says I used to drive cattle from down Oregon, from Oregon down into California to the cattle stations, to the rail stations. And we used to put the cattle on the trails and they used to ride on the drover's road. And he told me the name of uh, his pal who we always used to team up with and he, he, his last name was Parsons and uh, Lloyd was a, a very very good piano player I don't mm. think he could hear himself when he was playing but he knew the notes you know Yeah. and he played all the right notes in the right order uh-huh. and uh, 
and he once played he was once playing piano and it was like listening to these old barrel piano uh, type things that you heard in the oh on, yes on the movies at saloons you know oh, I can just and, hear it uh, I can just picture it yeah and uh, it just sounded like that when he played he had this knack of playing and uh, and and then he said he he said he'd done this drovers road thing which brings us round to music again Bernie mm. because when when uh, when I came back over uh, only a, a few years later, uh, I, I went into this bar and I was sat having a beer, and uh, a bloke says to me, "It was uh, playing in this recording studio just up the street." So I says, can I come along and listen to you? And he said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I went back up to this house, and it was just an ordinary house, but they had it set up like you have in here yeah. as a recording studio. And uh, there was a, I remember seeing this beautiful Fender Telecaster guitar. Mm. And I love Telecasters more than I like Stratocaster guitars. And I've played, I've had owned several uh, Telecasters over the years. And there was this beautiful Telecaster sat there. So that's, and and the thing I, I never do, you don't walk in anywhere and pick a guy's guitar up. It, no. it, it isn't the dumb thing. And uh, anyway, this fella walks in, this guy walks in, and he had a a sort of a big handlebar type moustache and a beard and uh, and he, he was talking to these guys and he looked at me and he, and he says oh by the way Gene this is Pete is from England and uh, he says I was having a beer so I invited him up here he asked if he could Come up and say, so I invited him up and said, yeah, okay, comes across. Nice to meet you, Pete. And it turned out that this guy was Gene Parsons who played with the birds. Ah, yes. And uh, this is how I met Gene Parsons. And, and he asked me about... Uh, he asked me about what, what I was doing over there. I said, I'm staying up Shimmings Ridge. And he says, where are you staying up Schumann's Ridge? I says, oh, I says, there's a guy up there, Bill Meyerhoff, I met him years ago. Oh, I says, I know Bill. <laughs> and he says, how did you meet Bill? I says, oh, I met, I met Bill through knowing, uh, through sitting and having a beer in a, a bar just down the street there where I was tonight called Lloyd Gullick. And he says, good God, he says, Lloyd Gullick and my dad used to drive cattle from down into Oregon to the to the railheads and that down here. And see how things can go round in circles where you mm. meet somebody. I met this old guy Lloyd and he used to used to drive cattle down in from Oregon with a friend of his. Mm. And and then I meet this fella a, a a few years later in this house that had a studio in it where they were recording and 
And then this guy comes up to me and said, hi, I'm Gene Parsons. And I says, Gene Parsons? I says, the birds? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he says, uh, how did you get here, Pete? Sort of thing. And 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 then it goes goes round. I says, oh, I'm staying up at uh, Bill Myroff's place. I'm staying up at Shimin's Ridge. And he says, oh, where are you staying? I says, uh, Bill Myroff's place. Oh, I says, I know Bill Myroff very well. Like. Mm. How did you get to know Bill? I says, through this old guy called Lloyd Gullick. And he says, good God, he says, he says Lloyd and my dad used to drive the cattle down from wow. Oregon. And yeah. That was a way to... Exactly. And this is when I told him about the, the incident at the Imperial Ballroom in Nelson when the birds were on. Oh, yeah. When they wouldn't let them in because they had denims on. Oh, yes. That so we've gone in a full circle. Bernie. Amazing, amazing. What a way to finish an interview as well. I mean, that is quite something... Um, I can I can just picture all these people in, 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 in a hot and dusty landscape of California. The sun's always shining and and um, they're so cool and casual, these people, even the famous ones, you know. Yeah, they but, are. Um, yeah, I found them that way. Yeah, Very which, approachable. And what year, we're talking about the late 70s or? Oh, no, same as uh, uh, that. They're talking about when, uh, when I met Gene Parsons, I was talking about 93, 95. Oh, as late as that, blimey. Sometime like that. Yeah, he would have been in his 50s or 60s. Uh, yeah, he would, but same as he looked a lot older because he had this big handle and, and and it always, I always think, how the bloody hell did he eat through that lot, <laughs> you know? It's a bit like the masks, the COVID yeah. masks. Ah, the COVID masks, exactly. Peter. Yeah. Anyway, Bernie, it's been great talking to you about this and you know getting this off well not off my mind but uh, passing the memories that i have it's been uh, because like in in willitsville in uh Mittersil, as you know i'm known <laughs> as a bit that that crazy english guy <laughs> you know and i suppose i've been a bit crazy over my life for some of the stories that i've told you which we probably couldn't repeat on anything like this but no, it's. Uh, I have had quite an interesting life. You certainly yeah. have, and it's been my pleasure to uh, document this latest episode: the songwriting, the musicianship. You're traveling over to America and Austria. It's been great. I've heard some of the stories before, but I'm so pleased that we've now got it down properly in a professional manner, and it's going up on the internet as soon as I can get it uh, edited. And a lot of other people around the world would probably find it quite interesting. And um, yeah, thank, I hope so. Yeah, thanks, Pete, for coming over, especially uh, from England, uh, for this. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay here in Austria. It's been thank great. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure, Bernie.